If you've been with us, we have been walking through the Bible, basically. Genesis to Revelation, we've been tackling key passages throughout the Bible, trying to put together the whole Bible story as one big story. Um, we've talked about the idea that God created a kingdom, and then he, he, he was the king of that kingdom, and then he created man. He put him in the kingdom and said, I want you to take care of it. Man decided he didn't want to do that, so he chose Satan instead of God. So God said, well, I'll, I'll fix that. And so he talks about in early Genesis the idea that he would one day bruise the head of Satan, but Satan would, would wound his heel. And then he talks about, um, then we, we spend a number of time looking at Old Testament passages where God established his covenant with Abraham. And he talks to Judah about the idea that the lineage would come through him. And then uh, he makes a, a covenant with David. We talked about the Passover where God institutes the idea that there can be a substitute. There can be a, a someone to take the place of another. We talked about the idea of um, uh, the dry bones, that, that God could bring life to that which is dead and old and, 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 and things people that have given up hope, that God can bring life to those situations. And then um, we talked about the idea last week of when the right time came, Jesus comes onto the scene. And we talked about that last week. We talked about the idea that God had orchestrated world events to come to a point at which Jesus now is on this earth. And so this morning we're going to continue that aspect with the idea of Jesus on this earth. And if you know the story of, of, of the Bible, um, Jesus spends 33 years on this earth. Um, you need to understand a few things. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the life of Jesus. Um, in that time, it talks about Jesus' life from his birth all the way to 40 days after the resurrection. Um, however, what you need to understand is that very little of that talks about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John spend the focus on the last three years in the ministry of Christ. And a majority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really focus on the last 18 months of the life of Christ. So there's a lot of the life of Christ that's not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They kind of hit some of the big highlights, and so that's often what we know about. Um, but Jesus spends 33 years on this earth. He um, goes the entire time never sinning. He goes the entire time accomplishing what the Father uh, wanted him to do. And so we're coming up this morning, and we're going to look at the issue of the cross, and we're going to look at, at Jesus on the cross and um, the significance of that event. But um, before we do, um, i got to tell you a little bit of story. Um, I... Anybody here got an unfinished project at home? <laughs> Enough said, right? Okay, here, here's my deal, all right? I, 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 have, I have, yeah, we're not asking for testimonials, so <laughs> wives, stop poking husbands. Um, I, I, here, here's the deal, okay? I, when, when, my, uh, when we moved out to the place that we were, we've been out there about 15 years now, we moved out to where we were the first, I was, I did, you, know how, you know how you make a decision and it actually turns out to be, you, you're smarter than you think you were um, because you weren't smart enough to do it knowing that it was a smart thing to do. Well, that's what happened. The first building I built on our property was a work shed. Now, smart because if I'd done it after we got the house there, I'd have never had the money to do it. So I, I, I put the money in the front part in, into the shed so we had a place to store stuff while we moved the house and did all this stuff, and that turned out to be brilliant. Um, because I cemented it and everything. So I've got this really nice work shed, okay? Couldn't afford to do anything else with the house, but I got a really nice work shed. Um, so uh, anyway, so I, I've got this shed, and, 
In the course of 15 years, you know what happens to a shed, right? It becomes a catch-all. And I've had two teenage boys who that was their playground. And so, you know, my kids never got bored. They would go out and play in the shed. And they did stuff out there that I, I don't even want to know. They created things. Did it's a wonder they didn't blow that thing sky high. Uh, I found out. I was, <laughs> um, my oldest decided you could take a small air tank, fill it with kerosene, hook it up to an air compressor, and make a flamethrower. But I didn't know until five years after he had moved out of the house. Okay? Um, Stuff like that. So, you know, no, you know, my kids didn't get all tied up with video games. They were out blowing stuff up. But anyway, for years, so for the last two or three years, my, my goal has been to clean this shed. It has been a passion of mine. But, you know, you're, you ever have one of those projects that's so overwhelming that you don't even know where to start? Well, that's what it was. Stuff had been piled and thrown in crates and put it. So I, so I finally decided this was the year. So I, early, about a month or so ago, I decided that I was going to take at least two hours every day and start in one corner and work my way all the way through the building. I was going to pitch stuff. I was going to, if, if I didn't have it labeled, it was gone. So massive undertaking, okay? So for the last two weeks, by the way, I've been in this shed every day, at least two hours. Okay, and whatever temperature was outside was another 15 degrees hotter inside. So I made no excuses. It's like, I'm going out. I'm doing this. Now, here's the deal. I have made my way all the way around the shed. Front of it, I got a great big pile of stuff that I'm getting ready to haul off this week. But I have this pile, probably about the size of this area right here, of stuff that I don't know what to do with. It's not important enough to put in its own place and label. And yet... I might need it, so I don't want to throw it out. So here's the deal. I'm almost finished, but I'm stuck. So yesterday was the first day that I said, I'm not going out to the shed. You know why? I'm not sure what to do with that stuff. I am stuck because all of that stuff it's not that it's physical. I've done all the heavy physical stuff. It's not the heavy physical stuff that's the hard part of it. I've already done that. I've moved shelves around. I've built stuff. I've hauled stuff away. It's, not, it's all this stuff that I'm just, I got to stand there and make an emotional decision and a mental decision, and that's more exhausting than hauling in a steel rack, you know? And so I, it's almost a pity. I'm almost like, you know, if I just shove it in the corner, then I don't have to deal with it. But here's my point. I'm so close, but I'm not finished. I'm not finished until I deal with that stuff. Okay, now look, because here's the deal. In the life of Jesus, here's the thing. Jesus has spent 30-some-odd years ministering, doing all the stuff that he needs to do. But there's one last thing he needs to do. And out of all of it, it is the most emotionally demanding. It is the most difficult part of the whole process. It's not about the beating. Shh, she's fine, Mom. 
I know it bothers moms more than it bothers us, okay? Um, you know, yeah, a church that doesn't have babies is one that's dying. So um, I'm thrilled to have the kids. So anyway, uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I just talk louder and move more. Uh, but here's what happens. So, so in the life of Jesus, he comes to the last part of it. And that part is when what's going to happen is Jesus is going to take upon him the sin of the world. It's not the scourging. It's not the blood. It's not the beating. It's not that stuff. But Jesus knows the last part of this thing that he needs to do is to take upon him the sin of the world. That's the toughest part. He's almost there. And what happens is we come to John chapter 19, and here's what he says. Listen to it. Uh, John 19. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. There, there are seven sayings from the cross, okay? We're, there's actually three of them that we're looking at here. I'm thirsty. A jar of wine and vinegar was there, so they soaked it in a sponge, soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge in a stalk of a hyssop plant, and they lifted it to his lips. And when he received the drink, he said, and this is where we're focused this morning, it's finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. We're going to talk about it this morning. It's finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Luke says it this way. After he, he does that, and then he cries with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The last two phrases from Jesus on the cross is, is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, that little phrase, it is finished, is what we're going to focus on this morning. The Greek word is tetelestai. Um, let me give you some examples of how it was used in literature of the time. Um, a farmer who had raised an animal that was perfect. Think of it this way. The Iowa State Fair this year, they're going to have a big competition, and people are going to go in with all their fancy animals, and, 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 and they're all going to do it. And at some point, they're going to come in, and they're going to say, in this category, this is the grand champion of the Iowa State Fair in whatever category it is. Here's what they're saying. That animal is as near perfect out of all the animals that we've seen. This is the one. This is Tetelestai. This is Tetelestai. This is it. This is it. This is the one right here. Um, a, uh, an artist painting a picture when he put the last brush stroke on, when he signed it. Um, in our modern culture, when you sign a piece, what you're saying is, Tetelestai. It's finished. Um, we have a habit in our house, whenever we did a project, and I drug my kids, I made my kids do projects. I just, if, if, we were, if we were siding, my kids had to side. If we were roofing, my kids had to roof. If we were, in fact, the reason I know that shed was there for 15 years, because I cleaned my shed, I forgot that every time we pour concrete or cement, we, we, I, when the kids were little, I had them put their handprints in it, and then we write the date. So I moved this big cabinet thing full of steel last week, and I see two handprints and the date, which was like August of 2000, so I know, 15 years ago, um, is when we poured it. So I actually took a picture of it, texted my kids, and said, hey, want to know what you were doing 15 years ago? Uh... You know, we were pouring cement. But the idea is, when, when we would do that, before it would set, we were, in essence, to tell us die. We were finishing the cement project. Um, it would, uh, um, a, a, a carpenter, when he, would, when he would, again, back then, they didn't have power sanders and all that. When they make a piece of furniture, 
and it was completely done, they would say, to tell us die. It's finished. It's ready to be sold. It's ready to be delivered. Um, when, when, when a banker would accept the last payment, uh, they, would, they would write in there, you know, today, what do you do? You know, you make the last car payment or you make the last house payment. They stamp it and it says paid in full. To tell us die. To tell us die. It's done. Nothing more is owed. And Jesus on the cross cries out to tell us die. It's finished. It's done. Everything that I have, 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 have accomplished, everything that I have come here to do, it's done. And what you need to understand is that what happened is that Jesus had spent his entire life coming to this point in history where he could cry out, it is finished. But you see, the part, kind of like my shed deal, the last part was the most difficult for Jesus because here's what was going to happen. He had spent 33 years on this earth, sinless, never done anything wrong, never, never, never sinned in any way, shape, or form. And Jesus is going to go to the cross and at one point on the cross, God is going to take the sin of the world and he's going to place it on Jesus. And God the Father, looking down from heaven on his only son, is going to see him covered with the sin of the world. And God the Father can no longer look at his son. And he's going to turn his back and walk away. That's why Jesus on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because, as the New Testament says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And you see, God has laid this out all the way from Genesis. I mean, when Adam and Eve first sinned, what, was that? what happened? An animal died to make them a covering. When Noah gets in the ark, what do they do? He has him build an ark so that he's covered and protected from the destruction that was going to come. Um, you see it with um, Abraham and Isaac, where a Abraham is ready to sacrifice Isaac, and God stops him, and there's a ram caught in the thicket, where God says, look, you, you don't have to sacrifice your son. Go take the ram. Sacrifice the ram. Shed its blood, not your son's. You see it in the Old Testament and, uh, with the children of Israel on the Day of Atonement. Here's what would happen. On the Day of Atonement, the priest was making a sacrifice for the sins of the nation for the past year, and so what would happen is they would bring in two goats, one goat, they would slay. They would take it and they would kill it. They would drain its blood. They would walk in. The high priest then uh, would make an atonement for the people of, of, uh, for the children of Israel. He would sprinkle the blood on the, on the altar in the Holy of Holies. He would then walk out and take the remaining blood and put it on top of the, of the, the goat. They would then take the other goat and they would take that goat way out in the wilderness. And the idea was it was being removed from their sight. And on the cross, here's what you have. You have Jesus becoming both. You have Jesus becoming the lamb that was slain, but you also have Jesus becoming the one who was going to take the sin upon it and have to be removed from the sight of God. And you see Jesus on the cross doing that. And for three hours he's saying, by the way, that's why the temple's rent in two. You see, you see the idea of darkness. You see all of these things that come into play when God... Martin Luther said it this way, God forsaken of God. How, do you, how, how can you understand that? But he who knew no sin had to become sin for us. And so when that happens, 
Jesus is able to do that, and that was the pinnacle of the story. That's what he came to do. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. And it says that he, after doing this, finally is able to cry out, to Telestai, it is done. It's over. It's complete. And it's a pivotal point in the story of Jesus on the cross. Because he finishes that, which he's not like us, where we have all these unfinished things. He finishes that which he was called to do. At any moment, by the way, understand this. He laid his life down willingly. They did not take it from him. At any moment, he could have said, I'm done. I'm not going through with this. At any moment, he had the ability to call thousands of angels and leave this world and never go to the cross. But he went to the cross because it was part of the mission in which he came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's us. So he does that. He cries out, it is finished. And then he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he ends his last breath. He gives up his life. They didn't take it from him. Now, two takeaways for us this morning. Okay, First of all, you need to understand that Jesus finishes the work that God gives him to do. He who knew no sin became sin for us. You understand that just as Jesus comes to a point where he willingly gives up his life and takes his last breath, there's coming a day everyone in here is going to do the same thing. You are going to take your last breath. Your heart's going to beat for its last time. In the life of Jesus, we live and then we face God. Judgment, if you will. In the life of Jesus, he faced judgment first for us and you need to understand that we get this idea in our culture that god is love and god is make no mistake about it make no mistake about it that's the whole point of the cross is that god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's the point of the cross make no mistake about it he loves you but make no mistake about it either. He hates sin. And he hates sin to the point that the most precious thing he had himself, his son, comes to this earth, subjects himself to the ridicule of man, goes to a cross, and becomes sin for us. And make no mistake about this, If God the Father could not look upon God the Son because of sin, if he could not accept Jesus, if he could not just look at him and go, you know what, sin's not that big a deal. If you die rejecting Jesus Christ and you stand before God in your sin, if he turned away from his only begotten Son, I assure you he will turn away from you. Make no mistake about that. Well, I don't know. You know, I can't believe that a loving God and hell and no, no, no. You know, you got to you got to read your Bible and put it all together. Hell was never designed for people. It was designed for it was designed for beings that rejected God. And if you're going to reject God's offer of salvation, 
and you want to stand before him in your sin, he has no choice but to reject you. It's done. He turned his back on his own son. His own son cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's why. So I beg you to understand the idea that God loves you and offers eternal life to you. It is a gift. You don't do anything for it. You don't jump through any hoops. All you simply do is realize that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and you ask God to forgive you of your sin, to come into your heart, to be your Savior. It's that simple. It's a gift, but you've got to take it. Everybody's like, well, isn't everybody going to have? No, 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 no. Only those who put their, that's why Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No other way to get there. Why well, just think, you know, if I like do enough good stuff? Really? Because Jesus did nothing but good. But he, when he became sin for us, God the Father turned his back on God the Son. I beg you to make sure that you understand that your faith and trust is in the finished work of Christ and nothing else. So for those of you who have never put your faith and trust in Christ, please understand there's nothing more important. And God did love you. God does love you. He gave his son for you. And he will give you every opportunity to say yes to him until the day you take your last breath. But when you take your last breath, you stand before him in your sin. Understand that. And if he turned his back on his son, he will turn his back on you. And he tells story after story when he's here about people who go, hey, didn't I do all these wonderful things? And God says to them, depart from me. I don't know who you are. So I beg you, it is a matter of your eternal soul to settle. That's a message to those of you who have never understood the finished work of Christ. There's another application I want to draw to those of you that have. And there are many people here who you put your, work, your, your trust in Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. There's no question about that. But I want to challenge you this morning with this idea. Don't add to the finished work of Christ. Because I think what happens in Christianity, if we're not careful, is that's what we try to do. Um, we try to think that, you know what? If I do this, maybe God will love me a little more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or to love you less. God loves you. There's nothing you can do to make God happier with you or more sad with you. God wants you to be obedient. He wants you to be his child, but God loves you. You think about it for a minute. Even when your kids have broken your heart, you still love them? Sure, they're your kids. They're your kids. You want them to do better? Yeah. Does it change your love for them? No, or it shouldn't. Um, let me illustrate this way. Um, some of you know me, and, and you know that I love working with glass. And one of the things that we do from time to time is we have kids over to work with glass, and I try to teach them a little bit about glass and, and, and show them something. It's fun. I, it's something I enjoy doing. We have a lot of fun with it. It's always fun to see what these kids come up with. Um, we had a group over a couple weeks ago, and, and, and I was helping them do some stuff, and we were showing them some glass stuff and stuff like that. Um, and, and what I do is I give them a little square, and I have, a whole, I have boxes of scraps and stuff like that. And I say, okay, here's the scraps. You've got to figure out what you want to do and put it together and, 
and make it, and I'll help you along the way, and then what I'll do is I'll fire it in a, in a kiln, and, and it'll all become one piece of glass, and then what we do is we slump it into a little, if they want it, we make a little bowl out of it, and so it's something fun for them to do and that kind of thing. So um, we get some kids over, and um, uh, one of the kids made this. I'll throw this up for me, okay? Let me show you this. Okay. Um, they made this out of scraps. Now, okay, I don't know, you can't see it. It's not a great picture, but it's of a sailboat and, um, and, and a guy in the sailboat and a son. That, that was his, his deal, okay? So here's what happened. Part of it is they got to lay all the glass out, and then when they get it all done, I look at them and say, okay, is this what you want? And they say, yeah. And then I say, okay, now we're going to glue it, and then I'm going to show you how to glue it. And then when it's glued, we're going to put it in a kiln, we're going to fire it, and then it's done. I mean, you ain't going to change it, okay? <clears throat> One of the adults that was there went to the kid and goes, hey, why are his arms like this? Should be like a stick person. His arms should be like this, Okay? That's how stick people are. You know, or they're like this, or they're like this. You don't see a stick person like this. So, so the parent, the, the adults were going, you know, why is your stick person like this? Because what's the adult thinking? What's an adult thinking? That don't look right. It's supposed to be this way, right? Here's what the kid said. You know what the kid said? And I don't know. How, somebody help me out. How old was he? He's like huh, eight, eight-ish. The kid goes, he's waving to everybody. Now you see it, don't you? Now that I've said that, now you see it? You don't see him doing this, you see him doing this now, right? Now, here's my point, okay? What if, what if his mom would have said, I don't like it like that, let's put the arm down? Or what if after they left, and I put it in the kiln, I corrected it. Or what if I added something else to it? Why is that wrong? Look, no, 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 I'm helping the kid out. Because the kid's not doing it right. The kid should know you don't do that. You know, I mean, one arm is longer than the other arm, it just... There's so many things that I need to fix with this. Huh? Why don't I mess with it? It's not mine. It's his work. It's finished. If I, get this, if I add to it, it takes away from his finished work. You get that? You get that? Now, this is really important. If I add to it, if I change it, I take away from that which he did, right? Okay, now listen to me, because this is what Christians do all the time. Yes, I know I'm saved. Yes, I know my faith and trust is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But if I do this, then maybe it will help God to be a little more pleased with me. Maybe God will love me a little more. Maybe if, if I do this, then God will bless me. So I'm obedient not because I love God. I'm obedient in order to get a blessing. I'm going to add to that which God has done in order to get something else from God. Follow that? 
What have I done to the work of Christ? You can't add to the finished work of Christ. And some of you came out of religious backgrounds where here's what you were taught. You were taught that you do a bunch of bad stuff. You never debated that. But in order to offset the bad stuff, you do a bunch of good stuff. So doing the bad stuff's not that big a deal because when you do the bad stuff, all you do is go over here and do more good stuff. And that at the end of life, God's going to put it on a great big scale, and whichever way it tips, that's your fate. And you go, you know what? You came to understand that, no, it's not about that. It's not about my work. For by grace am I saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, let's name it true. You came to understand that, and you say, you know what? It's not about works. It's about grace. It's about faith. It's about the finished work of Christ. So I'm going to trust in the finished work of Christ, period. And then you know what you do? Now, God, God, look, I took an hour out of my week to go to church. And because I went to church this week, you know, there were like three projects that I could have done that morning. But I went to church for you. So how about you doing this for me? You ever, those of you who have raised teenagers know this, you ever seen when your kids try to love you by manipulating you? Uh, dads with daughters, it starts like this. Daddy, I love you. Followed by, if smart dad, what do you want? Um, you, know how, you know what I'm talking about. You know when a kid's playing. You, well, you don't, some of you. Um, you'll figure it out. Okay, you'll figure it out one day. But you know how kids play, do that thing? We do the same thing with God. We do the same thing with God. It's about the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is finished. You can't add to it to make him love you anymore this week. You can't do anything this week that's going to make him love you any less. He went to the cross for you when you were in your sin. You can't tell me you can do something this week that will make him love you less. He loves you. He gave his life for you. I serve him this week, not because I want to get something. I serve him because I love him. I serve him because of all he did for me. It's not about adding to what he did. It's about loving him and serving him this week because of what he did. And some of you really need to embrace this because you have carried with you some of your old religious background stuff and you're not realizing that, look, this isn't about serving him to get something. This is about serving him out of a heart of love and gratitude and graciousness because of all he has done for you. That's what it's about. It's not about adding to what he did. When he cried out to Telestai, it was done. It was finished. He had done everything the Father had told him to do. And I want to challenge you this morning because you know what? Because he did that, it's done. It's done. All I need to do as a believer is trust the finished work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So I want to challenge you this week. For some of you, you may not have ever put your faith and trust in Christ. I want to challenge you to make sure you've done that. 
not about works. It's about faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. For others of you, you've done that, but you have fallen into this trap of being obedient in order to get. Be obedient out of love. Because ultimately, that's what it's all about for us, is loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's what he wants from us this week. So I close with this. My prayer for you this week is to understand that Jesus came to this earth as a suffering servant. He completed the task that God gave him, and he finished the work. Make sure you're trusting in him and him alone. And this week, serve him faithfully from a heart of love and gratitude, not from a heart that is seeking a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you finished that which you were called to do. God, so many of us struggle with trying to finish the things that we start. But Lord, you never quit. When it got tough, you continued to love us and continued, Lord, to give your life for us no matter what the cost to you. And Lord, I pray that we would have the same kind of attitude this week for each of us. And Lord, may you be honored with our lives. Lord, for those who may have never put their faith and trust in you, would you help them to understand how important it is that they're trusting in your finished work and nothing else. Lord, for those of us that have done that, Lord, may we serve you this week out of a heart of love and not out of a heart that just wants to get something. So use us this week. And we will give you the honor and glory and praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together.